0: What's up, All In family? It is Trent here, and we got Jordan on the other line. What's up with you, man?
1: Doing good. I'm doing good. We got a special guest with us this evening or this morning.
0: Miss
2: Keani Taylor,
1: a poetess out of Huntsville, Alabama. How you doing today? Doing
2: great. Doing, doing good. good.
1: So we found out some good information already. Y'all actually know each other. We got a Sparkman the building. <laughs> yep. <laughs>
0: Well, well, she knows my sister. She she don't know me. I'm okay. lame.
1: Well, y'all know nah. each other now. <laughs> y'all know <laughs> each other now. But that's actually crazy. We got a lot of Sparkman people um, that's, like, really talented and gifted, because, like, Wade, um, my boy Eric Kane, just a lot of people. So that's cool. And they all, like, real creative. Yeah.
2: Yeah,
0: so. yeah, yeah some of many ways. most talented. But, um,
1: so just, I guess, going. let's start with your story. Like, uh, were you into poetry back then?
2: I was. Um, I started writing poetry in, what was that, fifth grade. I was 10. And so I wrote my first poem. Um, I actually remember my first poem, but I wrote it about a best friend. like We weren't friends anymore. And um, ever since that, I've just been writing. Um, I think I started really trying to do songwriting at first, but the words is what really kept me running like just having words on a paper that were mine something about that felt good mm-hmm. so um, but i actually didn't perform though i performed once in like middle school and then i never performed again until college
1: oh was that like for you do you actually remember it
2: yeah yeah like what the first performance yeah. yes so like it was completely out of character for me to get in front of a whole school it was a school talent show and i'm very very shy like i've always been really really shy and um I heard our school was having a talent show, Spartan Middle, and I just was like, I'm gonna do it. Um, my cousin at the time, uh, she did a dance routine, and so we had to audition actually to be in the talent show. So she did not make it. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> and no. that's a whole Why other funny story. <laughs> <laughs> I know it was cutthroat, but she Damn. she did a dance to um, "Promise" by Sierra. <laughs> Uh, they were like, nah, you're not doing that. <laughs> oh, that's probably why
1: yeah, they was doing a lot. Okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but um I did a poem and um they let me do it in front of the school and like the poem was about um the world. I don't at seventh grade, I don't know. I was really deep. Like Okay. <laughs> so like I it was talked, in your bag already. <laughs> A little bit, like my woke bag, I guess. Okay, yeah. okay. So I was, like, talking about the world and, like, there's hatred and, like, being a black person in the world. And, like, oh, I really went there. Yeah, like you went there early. <laughs> and y'all know Spark and Middle, it, it's, like, the Country. staff anyway is, like, white. Okay. And so, like, mm-hmm. when I was done, like, teachers came up to me. And they were crying. They were like, I can't believe that's your perspective of the world at this age. And, like, so, like, in that moment, um, I definitely understood how important what I what I wanted to do was, because, like, to get the attention of people that were, like, twice, three times my age, you know, en- enough to, like, invoke thought in them, mm-hmm. I just felt like that was powerful even then. So, um, I didn't perform again, though, until college. Um, so, but I knew, I knew that that's what I wanted to do with my life.
1: Okay. That's dope. Staying at that first performance, what were the emotions before you got on stage? Because we, as humans, like, we might not remember the details, but we remember emotions. Oh, my well. God.
2: I was so scared. I was afraid, like, literal fear. I've never been so scared. Shaking. Yes. <laughs> like, my voice was shaking. My stomach was empty. Like, I just remember feeling like somebody had punched me in my stomach and, like, everything, intestines, everything gone. Like, I just felt like, I can't do this. Yeah, like,
1: you're definitely a writer. You described that very well. <laughs>
2: But, no, like, that was the most nerve-wracking thing. And um, the crazy thing is, before I perform, I always feel like that. It doesn't matter how many times I get on stage, I'm always nervous. And, um, but, like, that adrenaline is, like, what keeps you, like, I'm just going to do it, but I'm scared as hell, <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway, you know?
1: That shows you alive. I like it. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. So, I guess, you being, like, a creative writer, you um, even at that young age was like, I know a lot of times people have a, I guess preferred side of it. Like, was it, did you enjoy formal writing or did you hate that side of it? Or were you just in both and enjoy creatively writing and formally writing?
2: So when you say formally, like set prompts and like stuff like that?
0: Prompts, but like the formats where you have to oh. be dramatically correct Mm. Um, you have to write in a certain form like MLA or whatever the case oh, may yeah.
2: be now I will so. be honest I've never had like formal poetry training like I literally took a poetry class in 7th grade and then, not even a class it was like a unit in English you know how we all do poetry mm. in okay. English yeah. so like we learned about like metaphors similes you know like the basic literary devices mm. and um I think, so to answer your question directly, no, I'm not a big formal like poetry, like I'm trying to do a specific style, stanzas and all that. No, that that never came naturally to me, honestly. Um, but once I started writing, I would like go back in my work and see, okay, am I using literary devices after I learned what they were? And mm-hmm. I was, and it wasn't something that I was doing on purpose. It's just what was pouring out of me, to be honest. Now, when I got a little more educated, I did become more intentional about how I said things. You know, I, I tried to figure out how I could say things a little more descriptive without actually saying it. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So even now, I definitely enjoy writing just creatively, just free write. I don't. Um, every now and then, like, I'll write to prompts, like with friends and stuff. But
1: Okay, for like fun and stuff. Oh, and yeah. Just,
2: okay. Oh, yeah. We have That's challenges. Fun. It's, it's it, it gets intense.
1: Okay, y'all be y'all be going at it. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. So with you saying that like you didn't perform um until college, was there any period in like that in between period where like you kind of fell off with writing and maybe pursued other things?
2: Um, no, never. I've always been a writer. Um, but what I will say there was a time within my writing where I got obsessed with music. Um, specifically hip hop. So, like, y'all, I grew up very religious. Like, gospel music only. You feel me? Like, everything else is, like, the devil's music. And, like, but my dad wasn't like that, and my parents weren't together. So, when I would go with my dad, you know, he played whatever. Mm. So, I'm like, ooh, I like this. It's always a dad. You know, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I started, he he was playing, like, R. Kelly, Peaches and Cream, like, you know, some old school outcasts. I was like, what is this? What is this? You know, I'm intrigued. But, like, um, I remember... um, watching BET which I was never allowed to watch but your mama didn't play she did not play (laughs) y'all I feel it though (laughs) and she's Caribbean so like it was just
1: my mama was the can we go can we do Halloween this year no that's the devil like we ain't doing yeah yeah, 100 (laughs) (laughs) percent.
2: but no like um I was watching BET and Kanye West had just dropped Jesus Walks video and this was my first time encountering Kanye West, and it was the Jesus Walks video. And, of course, I'm religious, so I'm like, he's talking about Jesus. Mm-hmm. So you can do both. You feel me? You can rap, and you can talk about God. So I, I just um, felt like, like even the lyrics in the song, it was really inspiring to me how he was talking vulnerably about his experience with God. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, okay, I like rap. And then Kanye West became my favorite rapper, and he's been my favorite rapper for years. Ooh, I got a friend! I'm sorry. (laughs) But, like, from then on, I started studying lyrics. So I think that, honestly, is what made me a better writer. Um, Like, all of my favorite music, I would go on, like, lyrics.com, and I would print out the lyrics. And I'm, like, highlighting my favorite verses. And I would, like—I had a page where I was, like, rewriting lyrics that were just— I kept all my favorite stuff, like, in a notebook. And so if I wasn't having, like, long seasons of writing, I was doing that. Like, Mm -hmm. I just enjoyed, like, how people describe stuff with their words, you know? I love
1: that. I feel like I love, the thing I love about hip-hop is just there's no rules. Like, you can go and you can take, like, some of like, the technical things if you want to but there's no rules and like one thing i love about kanye is like he literally embodies like no rules like Mm -hmm. i love god he's a part of my life but i still i'm not perfect you know what i'm saying like all these things is like true like all these things can happen in one like person
2: exactly
1: i love that yeah
0: so so now that you like kind of well at that point you got into the songwriting and things like that um And you even have, like, in your bio, kind of, like, artist and musician and all those things. So did you start to, I guess, make your own music at some point? Um, Or did you just strictly stick to, like, songwriting, possibly writing for others? Yeah.
2: So the musician part comes from me playing instruments. So I've been in bands since I was in sixth grade. Oh. Um, so I started on clarinet, I got moved to the E-flat contra alto bass clarinet <laughs> in middle school, it was this big, it is, it <laughs> is, it's a mouthful, <laughs> but like, it's this huge instrument, like, like, it's so heavy, um, and it's, you just have to look it up and see it online to see what it is. Oh, but you
1: have one of them little wagons, folks, we can around.
2: No, I had to carry it, like, myself, like... Uh-uh. Man, it was man. Girls I always
1: said, gravitate towards clarinets too. I want to know, like, what what is that?
2: Okay, I didn't want to play clarinet. What happened was I wanted to play saxophone. So you that you have to take like this test to test into band, okay. and I passed like every instrument, and so my band director was like, "What do you want to play?" I said, "Saxophone." And my mom was like, "Well, I can't afford a saxophone, and I have a friend uh, that has a clarinet, so you playing clarinet." I'm so weird. So that's how that happened. <laughs> Your mom <mama> is
1: so. <laughs> she don't play. I feel we it really though. Like you gotta that. do what you gotta do. <laughs>
2: So, but you know, I ended up loving it, and I was okay. I was good at it. Um, I made all state in eighth grade. Um, I was like the first. I was the best player, middle school player on my instrument in eighth grade in the state.
0: First year, okay.
2: Yeah, so that was like another passion of mine. Um, So I was like, now with music, very, very formal training. I'm a classically trained bass clarinetist. That's what I got my undergraduate degree in, performance on bass clarinet. So, So, um, and now I'm a band director. So I play all woodwind instruments pretty much. Um, A little bit of piano, not a lot, just a little bit of piano. So for me, um, when it comes to making music, I really love live instruments. I love hearing music that has live instrumentation. So, like, I've tried to make my own music, but I'm really a perfectionist, like, and I just feel like I can't replicate what I want with the materials I have right now. Okay. So Ooh. I make beats because um, I also teach music technology. So I do make beats and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that's something that I'm going to, I'm continuing to perfect that craft before I give it out to the world. You know what okay. I'm saying? Just like I did deal. with my poetry.
0: What would Ooh, you...
1: um my bad, Trent, were you about to say something? Oh,
0: no, I was just, yes, I was, I got some questions, but go ahead.
1: Okay, okay. So, all right, so my brother, what would you say to, like, because you teach a lot of the kids, right? Mm-hmm. So what would you say, so my brother actually plays saxophone. The thing about it is, is that he loves music, and he's like, we both love hip-hop, but we, like, we both, like, kind of love two sides of it. He loves, like, almost, like, the purest form. Like, he loves, like, New Nujabis. He loves, like, I don't even know how he found some of the stuff he found, but like mm-hmm. he loves, like, some real old school, like, real... He loves the beats. He loves, like, the like the little things about flows, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. He really is lost, starting to lose his love for playing the saxophone, and he just wants to be out of the band because um, his band director is very... Um, uh, stuck in his ways. He only wants them to play this type of music. He can't stand the music. He doesn't, like, he... Like, I think he needs to go to a HBCU or something, but he, he doesn't even want to play it no more once he gets out of high school. Like, he's just mm-hmm. kind of done with it. So, like, what would you – and I've been trying to, like – I've been, like, start a band, do this. And yeah. he, he's, like, right, I ain't really listening to you. Oh, I hate So, that. I'm, like, what would, you, what would you say to, like, one of your students that's kind of, like
2: <sighs> – See, this is the thing, like, black people in the formal music space – that's what's, that's the difficult part because it do, we don't relate to that. Yeah. Like we don't relate to like classical music and Bach and like Mozart, like that doesn't, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but what I will say is there's something about knowing the basics. There's something about knowing the formal structure of music that makes you a better musician. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter, you know, what your culture is, like knowing your scales, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Knowing um, foundational things that's going to perfect your tone so, that type of music that he's probably playing is perfecting his skill as a player. And it can be boring and it's hard to appreciate if you don't like that style, but it's mm-hmm. so important for when he does go off. I hope he does choose the HBCU. I'm really
1: hoping he does. Cause like, sticks with it.
2: That will change his experience. For sure. That band is going to be a whole nother different vibe me? for him. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Maybe. I would I would encourage him to stick with it, especially if he's talented in it, you know, because that's that's a gift.
1: He's he's really good because he plays in Sparkmans, man. He's really good, oh. and it's like if he actually applied himself more, I really feel like he'll go crazy with it. But it's like he ain't feeling it. Like, he's just I'm not. A, I'm
2: going to be honest. I was in Sparkmans band too and i i i can agree i can 100 percent say that that was my experience too and i actually did quit my senior year really um
1: he wants to quit he wants to leave like his senior year too
2: yeah i did because i felt like mm, you know i had already made all state in high school again i just felt like i had reached my cap and i'm not i'm not gonna get into that side of things but what i will say is i picked it back up in college like i auditioned to get into college with it. So as long as he stays, you know, up to part and doesn't stop playing, he could still audition, you know, um, work on his, keep his scales. That's the biggest thing and have an audition piece ready. But you can okay. audition anywhere. You know what I'm saying? You ain't okay. got to be in the band.
1: That's what I'm telling him to do. I'm, I'm telling him, just stick with it outside of it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay.
0: yeah how do you, I guess like, are there any resources that are there anywhere that students I guess in a younger age can go to just um i guess continue to work on their craft outside of the school setting like do you have any places or advice like advice when it comes to that
2: yeah so I'm, I'm a private lessons teacher so i teach private lessons and i would encourage everybody who's a music, music, musician in the K through 12 arena to get private lessons because your band director can only do so much at school. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, he can get a private instructor and they can work on him. And And honestly, he'll, he'll get even better with that. Cause that's like individualized instruction. You know what I'm saying? So I would definitely recommend that. And then there's like community bands and things like, um, Huntsville has a Huntsville youth orchestra that kind of music wise would be in the same arena that he doesn't like though. But, oh, um, uh-huh.
1: Well, well, me and, I, saw, I, I want them to do a band like just do your own thing bro
2: yeah i'm working on something though
1: okay
2: without saying too much me and a friend of mine are working on getting some community stuff together for the youth okay. for that specifically you know so
0: okay good. um so where are you teaching at right now um where i guess you do like private yeah. lessons as well but like where are you teaching you said you're an educator?
2: I teach at, um, it's a new school here. It's a, the Alabama School of Cyber Technology and Engineering. I don't know if y'all have seen it or heard about it, but it's a new school here. It's a boarding school. Um, it's a state manded public school. And so it's not tied to any district, um, and any student in the state of Alabama can come to it. We have to take two students from each district in Alabama. And basically, right now we're housed on Oakwood University's campus, but our our building is being built across from Redstone Federal Bank off Wind Drive, so we'll be over there next year. And I think the name will get out there a little more then. But okay. um, yeah. Yeah. so it's a it's a cyber tech school in um, engineering, and so like. They also have music program, you know, as an elective for students, and so I teach just traditional band. But um, because it's a technology school, they wanted a technology piece. So I do music tech as well. So basically we make beats in my class.
1: Oh, that's fun. That's dope. Mm-hmm. That's dope. You're the cool teacher. <laughs> You're the cool teacher. <laughs> All right. So I guess bringing it back into poetry, mm-hmm. coming back in, we're getting to college now. What made you get back into poetry and performing in college?
2: Man, okay. What was
1: like that? Igniter.
2: So, um, I went to this place called the Foreign Exchange, and I get chills thinking about it because it was such a dope spot in Birmingham. Like, and y'all, when we were in high school, there was just not any black events that were based Mm -hmm. around art, like, they just weren't. Like, now we have a lot of stuff, but back then there just wasn't. And so, like, um, when I moved to Birmingham, though, there was just a culture there that I was like, your,
1: wow. your first poem like the first poem you read at the event and the first poem in the book literally is like the black experience of you in huntsville for yes. like more than like two years you're like oh this isn't like this isn't for me like this ain't mm-hmm. like ain't nothing around here for me And so like
2: yeah and i mean that like huntsville did not nurture that side of me yeah. at all like i didn't feel like there was any opportunity for me in huntsville to go on a stage as a young black girl mm-hmm. and do a poem but when i got to birmingham they had, like, open mic nights and, like, just small events, and they were very intimate. But, like, the community there was so supportive. Like, it didn't feel like this clicked up. Like, you know, I know yeah. them. They they made – they beat this competition, so we're going to gravitate around this person. Like, it was more like a, any and everybody who does art, we're going to have a respect for it, no matter what level that they're on. Yeah. And so – Um, I just remember y'all, y'all know at church when you're going down for the altar call or like the pastor is doing the altar call and you feel that pull in your heart to go down, you know, and give your life to Christ or whatever at the end of church. I had that type of feeling in the open mic night. They were like, you know, open mic list is open. Y'all come sign up. And I just was like, got to get on that stage. And it just wouldn't leave me alone. So I signed up. Was I nervous? Yes. Like vomit nervous. But um, I got up there and I did an original poem and like it was just so well received. And it was like my first time doing an open mic. And so I just got addicted. I was like, I got to find more opportunities, you know, to perform. Um, And so I would just go to some events and if it was open mic, I would perform or I would just kick back and just enjoy. Um, But my first the first time I realized that, like, oh, I'm going to keep doing this. Um, UAB, which is the school I went to, mm-hmm. they had a poetry slam and I just was like, I'm going to enter this poetry slam. I never did a competition before in my life for poetry. Actually, no. In high school, I did poetry out loud, but I didn't read my poems. It was like you read, you read. other people. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, yeah. And I didn't do well in that. So anyway, but the one in, in, at UAB, um, Sarah K was the host i don't know if y'all know who sarah Kay is she's a very well-known poet um so they had brought her to uab she hosted it and um yeah i mean my friend just told me you need to have three poems at least because there's three rounds and so i was like okay and so i i was in it and i got second place and so i was like wow like i was really surprised you know that i did so well um and i was like i really might be you know good at this and then like the girl who won, though, y'all, Go ahead, about, and talk about it. First of all, she was dope. <laughs> Let me say this. The queen was dope, but years later, I remember... So she did this poem. I'm going to just set it up. She did this poem, y'all, where she was talking about um, rap, like being a woman in rap. And so I'm like, oh, this is dope. And she's talking about Nicki Minaj, and she's like turning into a barb on stage. Like, she just... Yeah. She, she went in, Ooh. it was nasty. <laughs> I was okay. I was like, yeah, she won like fair and square. However, how about like three years later, I'm on YouTube just looking up um, videos. Nah. This is a poem by Jasmine Manns. She did somebody else's poem. She stole poem. somebody's poem. Yes.
0: Oh no. And this
2: poet, this competition was for like original poetry. And like the way she performed it, she performed it exactly, exactly like, like it the original her. poet. So I was like, "Okay." That's what so we call
0: a
1: deep fake.
2: <laughs> and she was like a um, a drama major. So like,
1: oh, she really shot out <laughs> all
2: three of her rounds. She stole her poems. But um, anyway, so I realized, okay, I really won that. Like for real.
1: I'm so dead. <laughs> She's probably a good actress though.
2: She, man, a damn good actress for real. She did that.
1: That's funny. That's funny that's a good story though we got
2: Man.
1: <laughs> i feel like i've heard of jasmine bands before is she oh, yeah. like she real popular now
2: she is she's out of new jersey um she has a poem about kanye that's one of her big poems um, oh really yeah i don't watch
1: that I, i'm a big like i'm a big kanye nerd so
2: <laughs> Man, me too but like i have my problems with yay Ye and yeah yeah i don't agree with
1: everything but that's like <laughs> yeah. when i sit down it's like who do i agree with everybody like everything they say nobody absolutely and oh.
2: that's what you learn when you get older, you know. When you're when you're a kid, you just look up and you have mm-hmm. idols and stuff, but mm-hmm. you realize everybody ain't perfect. But her poem about Kanye is like...
1: It's tough? Okay, I gotta yeah. listen. I gotta go listen. It's yeah. tough. All right. Yeah. Alright.
0: So, I mean, so you spoke on the Huntsville piece, and um, you going to Birmingham, and you went to UAB, so was that was it like all right? You had places like you wanted to go in Alabama, but or even Alabama A and M specifically. But he was like, all right, I can't, I can't do this all over again. So you chose UAB. Like, what what played into that choice of choosing UAB?
2: Honestly, it was a last-minute decision. Like I told y'all, I grew up very religious. So I grew up Seventh-day Adventist. Oh, so okay. I was always mm-hmm. destined to go to Oakwood for college. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been on to college my whole life. Um, my mom was worked there at the time, and she was like, I get a big discount on tuition, like you going to Oakwood. <laughs> and so I went to their college days, and I was fine with it. I was fine with it. But I went to their college days. When I tell you I had the worst experiences, like – And it's not like Oakwood is not inherently a bad school, but it just was not for me. I was like, what? I don't want to be around this. Like all this curfew stuff, the food was just vegetarian. I wasn't even, I was eating meat at the time too. And like there was, I found a roach in my food like, during ooh, college days. Ooh. I mean, it was I just like. wrapped it up right you there. You feel me? <laughs> and, like, I always felt like I got to choose a place that has good food at least. You know what I'm saying? I feel that. And I was like, I cannot go here. Like, this is terrible. And it sucked because I had got accepted there already. And so, like, last minute, it was like, I had fun to say, it was like June of the summer before school started. I, I did an audition at UAB just to see if I would get a scholarship. Um, for music, and I did, and so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm gonna just go here, cause like, literally, the only other choice was Oakwood, like at that point. And I never wanted to go to A and M, which was crazy of me to feel that way at that age. It Wasn't. But I mean, I, <laughs> you the know, main thing. feel like that <laughs>
0: when they from Huntsville. They were
2: like, nah. I'm exactly. So
1: and like, it's not like A and a bad school. That's all. It was. It just like felt like high school continued for us.
2: Exactly, because I didn't want to stay in the city, and I just knew that there was nothing for me in Huntsville. There just was nothing here for me. I
1: just didn't want to be around the same folks I had been seeing. I just wanted to, you know, branch out.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so that's what made me go to
1: Back to you. I want to get into Spilled Milk a little bit. Okay. So this wasn't your first book, but it's what, your second book? Mm -hmm. Your second book. So before we get into, like, the creative aspect of it, what was it like, I guess, beginning, like, the process of, like, creating Spilled Milk?
2: So I I started writing Spilled Milk at the when I released my, my uh, first book, A Slice of Pie. Um, it was literally, it was so weird. It was like the day it released, I wrote my first poem for Spilled Milk. Mm. And um, I just, it just, the idea just came to me. I mean, you call it divine download, I don't know. But it was just like, this is your next step. And so um, the Spilled Milk was just in my head for the name of it and then I don't even remember the first poem I wrote, to be honest. But what I do know is I started a notes in my phone because really I wanted it to just be short poems. I remember because it was going to go on Instagram. The original idea was like I wanted to create one column on my page on Instagram that was a poetry book, and I wanted it to be something that People didn't even notice what's happening until I, I brought attention to it, and then you go on my page and you scroll and you see. see I'm it's a thirty pages
1: in. You late? Right, <laughs> <I'll> right. <please. laughs> and
2: so it was like those textgram, you know, things, and you okay. write a little note on there or whatever. So that's what it started as. And I you I a Tumblr kid. I was heavy, I <laughs> heavy, <laughs> heavy on Tumblr, but yeah, like so, I started that on my Instagram and um, my i came across a video where basically somebody was talking about how their poetry got stolen like they had posted it in a similar way on instagram and it ended up Mm -hmm. all over pinterest like it was just one of those common quotes you know but Mm -hmm. you don't think about where those quotes originate a lot of the times and she was just saying how like she didn't monetize it so like basically nobody knows it was hers she sees people take credit for it all the time and for me it's not about the money but about the art itself like like having somebody literally steal your stuff and say it's theirs is like yeah. heartbreaking. So I took all of the posts down and I was like, Nah, nah y'all ain't finna steal my flow. Absolutely, this, this not. ain't that. <laughs> absolutely not. Um, and so I took it all down and I was like, All right, I'm gonna just make it a an ebook. And so I'm still, you know, writing about it and stuff for years. And then okay. eventually, I was like, You know, I'm I'm a physical copy type of person when mm. I read a book, so I'm gonna have to make a physical copy of the book okay, um, for sure. so that's
1: yeah okay so I got one question have you ever heard of like I think Naira Waheed yes yes uh, so I'm not even like a super big poetry person like I love rap so like I love poetry like by the fall and I get into it a little bit but so I was uh this was when another poetess was like getting real popular but like I saw this thing online that was like she stole her style from somebody else, and I'm Good. not gonna. I'm
2: not gonna. Yeah, we not gonna say that, get into all yeah. that. But
1: <laughs> now I hear well, he was the person they said isn't getting her shine. So I was like, X. I read a little bit of Oh Girl, and I was like, let me go listen. And as soon as I read, um, I believe it was Salt. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is the original. Like this is this is that gas. <laughs> this is pressure because I was like, this is. I'm not even like a poetry like. I don't read poetry on the regular, but this is like amazing. You ever like look at a piece of art and you're not like you, you don't look at paintings all the time you don't watch a bunch of movies but right. you can tell this is like this top is top tier top tier yeah. you feel me like <laughs> so I'm, all the stuff that you know who she is but yeah. back to you back to uh, Spilled Milk um, Trent go ahead my bad I had to see <laughs> if you knew old girl cause I am like <laughs> when I read that I was like yeah. oh this is this
0: is great it is okay okay so I'm just gonna I guess from the first piece Huntsville, um, just those feelings of not feeling like Huntsville was like home and all those different emotions that you felt. Do you feel like it's more of a home now? And like obviously we can see some of the progressions that are made as far as Black events. Do you think, you know, we're getting to a good, a good space and eventually we will, you know, have a lot more for you know, like to be in creative spaces and explore those avenues, like um, like in other cities like Birmingham and Atlanta. Yeah,
2: I would first like to say I am very proud of Huntsville. It has grown a lot in the last 10 years since I've graduated high school. And like, I don't want to like dismiss what the old heads have done in the city prior to now, because honestly, if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be where we're at you know, with building the culture we're building now. But I do feel like it is very important to acknowledge that our generation, um, I feel like we're uh, we're pushing a lot of the culture forward around here. We're doing a lot more things creatively. I think we're just stepping outside of the box a lot more and putting ourselves out there. But that we've, we're able to do that because of what the OGs have set up. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So each generation gets better. So I definitely feel like, because we have, we we all as creatives in Huntsville can relate to that poem. Like, you know what I'm saying? And because of that, I think we just have a strong sense of like, we're going to just do it, you know? And we're not going to forget about our city in the process because we care about where we come from. So with that being said, I do feel like it's our duty now to make sure that the young creatives who were us 10 years ago know that there's space for them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And not get selfish about... Um, you know, we're trying to make it. Because Huntsville is having a lot of beautiful opportunities coming this way, but what I don't want us to do as black people is to feel like it can't—it ain't enough room for all of us, so I'm going to nah, be first. I'll you feel that. me? I'll like, that's, that. not, that's not going to advance our people within this space. We're going to be left out of the conversation eventually. That's what's going to happen. That's what mm-hmm. always happens. And so it's important for us to literally lift as we climb. Like, um, you know, I talked about wanting to open up basically a creative organization here for the youth. Like eventually I want to put together a youth poetry team that we go and we do some slam poetry, you feel me, and do some competitions. Cause like, I know there's young black girls and boys around here that write poetry too, Mm -hmm. but do they know where to go? Do they have a stage? Cause a lot of the open mic events are not for that age group, you know? And I say all that to say like the youth is what's going to always lead the way. You For know, sure. I'm, I'm starting to get into old head status. I'm aware oh of that. Oh, my gosh. No, you died. No, I, I am, though. But, like, because, like, the high school students, like, they are creative as hell. Like, they, they have innovative ideas. Like, this generation, generation Z, I don't know if y'all are considered that, but... Like, you know, they're the next up. I don't think I'm
1: 25. I don't think I'm generation.
2: you like, great. at the tail end of Uh-oh. millennials. So she I, really I, trying to play us, No, <laughs> but I mean. No,
0: I think I might be, though, for
2: real. Oh, yeah. yeah he, he, he
1: younger than me, though. He yeah. like
0: 25.
2: Yeah, see, like, y'all. But, see, y'all are the ones that are next up, I okay. feel. You know okay. what I'm saying? And so it's, you. like, in my process of, of just trying to be myself in the creative realm, I want to be mindful of, like, how can I help? you know the the younger people before me because I didn't have that. I didn't have that in high school. I didn't have a poetry mentor. I didn't have someone I saw that looked like me trying to do what I wanted to do. And I'm not saying it wasn't here, but I am saying I didn't see it. That's where that whitewashed open mics and galleries came from because it wasn't for me, I felt. And so even though we're growing, I just want us to not forget about our youth in that process so that it, so that they don't feel like when I get ready for college age, I'm getting out of this city and I'm not coming back to contribute. You know what I'm saying? We want to make sure that they know that this is home creatively. Yeah.
1: And I love that because I think it's a, I think the, the biggest thing is like, don't relax because we've made like little steps mm-hmm. and we got to keep on making them for it to actually last and stick. Yeah. And I think seeing it is so important because that's like why a lot of us go to Atlanta. We go to Houston because that's the only places we see black folks winning in ways that we yeah. want to be winning. Like, everybody doesn't want to work the 9 to 5 or work these certain types of jobs to make money. Mm -hmm. And in Atlanta, like, you see folks, like, being creative and making money and being able to provide for their people and have fun doing it. And so just.
2: One thing they do is support each other. Like, when you look at, like, Smino, like, No Name, Chance, like, I found them through each other. Being on each other's stuff. There was like a
1: whole wave.
2: You know what I'm saying? They yeah. didn't feel like, let me go buy a feature from somebody that's well-known so I can get put on. Like, they made good quality music, so it was already going to be dope. And then they included each other. And then, like, you know, if Smino goes on tour, he's taking Raven Lene with him to open up. You know what I'm for saying? Sure. Like, And so I want us to keep that mentality here in Huntsville because when one person makes it, that opens the door for all of us.
1: Talk about it. Talk you about know? it. I love that she brought that up because, like, for the longest, I thought Smino was from Chicago just because he was like in that like little group, yeah. but like he's from like St. Louis, and it's like one thing that we don't have to take from the other people's culture is like all these barriers to like working together. One thing that happened in Atlanta that you see with like little baby. Uh, thugging them they say it's like when they wanted to work together they just went in the studio and worked together they didn't do the whole like i gotta buy this feature Damn. you gotta sign this contract if you want to create sometimes like worry about that later just create yeah. just go do it like absolutely i love that i love that it's
0: Absolutely. Yeah. so i guess, um with this like collection that you've made like at what point like, cause I know a, a lot of this book is about like healing and all those things. At what point are you able to? Were you able to feel like I right, I can put this out to the world, uh, or were you like feel um, like going through the process of healing, then you even put this out? I mean, maybe healing is like it's a forever journey, but you know, how did you go about putting this out? Yeah. Practice.
2: Um, what's crazy is this this book was supposed to come out in 2020. And I will contribute its delay to COVID a little bit, but a lot of it was I just still had lessons to learn. Um, I thought I was done. I thought the book was ready, you know. I had filmed hot chocolate video um, like November, December of 2019. And so that was gonna be like my promotion for the book in twenty twenty and um I did end up dropping hot chocolate video and promoting that I had a book coming but the pandemic hit. But on top of that, there were just a few more poems I had to write. And so what I've learned through that is that first of all, I am a perfectionist. So I'm I I do hold on to art. And I've I've part of my growth has been just letting it go. Mm-hmm. Um and so I had to learn that though. But within that context too you have to be very in tune with yourself as a creative to know when your art is done. I think that that is so important. Like, I don't know if it's meditation, I don't know if you go to church, whatever you need to do to keep yourself, your spirit in alignment, you know, you really have to know yourself. Um, And I think in 2020, I really got to know myself a lot in 2021 as well. Like I just, it's like a marriage of self almost. And so through that, I learned that only I can know when something is done. Mm -hmm. Whereas before (laughs) I was just operating off trying to be perfect, you know, just trying to make sure everything is is done. But that's not really what it's about. It's about literally self. Like, are you ready? Did you learn all the lessons that needed to be learned within that season? And until you are in alignment with self enough to know that and have that self-awareness, you won't know it. You might release something prematurely or delayed or whatever.
1: One thing I took from you um was like the healing's never really done. <laughs> it's never really over with. Mm-mm. And I felt that. That's one thing I felt um when I was listening to you performing and when I was reading it as well is just that I think what you were saying you gotta learn um kind of knowing yourself as an artist like maybe when this chapter is like done and i'm like okay i can close this book Mm -hmm. but uh we all got some healing that we still can (laughs) it go deep the roots go deep for a lot of different things in our lives but um it
2: does and like i was saying at my event like each section of the book the spilling the crying the cleanup the spilling took years The Mm -hmm. the crying took years. Sometimes I still back up and I get back into crying and then I'm back to the cleanup. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And I'm still in the cleanup. I'm going to always be in the cleanup. And the cleanup is just self-improvement, doing better, learning, shadow work, all those different things, you know, self-reflection. And that's that's a constant journey. Mm -hmm. It's a constant journey.
1: Going to the spilling, one like a theme I kind of noticed in it was like a lot of the spilling I felt like happened unconsciously. And that's one thing that resonated with me. It was like when I was in some of like the worst periods of my life or like these like really tough times, I didn't even know it. Like I was in like horrible situations, but it was like I kept either telling myself everything's fine, like this is okay. So like I guess explore that real quick for somebody who wants to like actually get into Spill Milk.
2: Yeah. And I'm going to flip through so I can have some references here. Okay. But one thing I will say, it is, it's definitely the spilling was something I didn't notice I was in. Because mm-hmm. mind y'all, the themes came later, you yeah. know, once, once all the poems were written, yeah. then that came. And so like, you know, you're dealing with, I was dealing with abuse to be transparent. I was dealing with emotional, mental manipulation. I didn't know Mm -hmm. that that's what was happening to me. Mm -hmm. So I'm writing about, like, wanting this person, and it can't be fixed, and they're just, you know, stumping on me, basically, and it's just like, I think it was just building. It was, like, building up to the realization that that's what I was dealing with, you know what I'm saying, within that context of the book. Um, And so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where the question was leading, but...
1: Oh, it's just I just want to give them like that was good. That was good right okay. there. I just want somebody who's interested in the book to know what they're getting into cuz yeah. you know, I want them to come out here and
2: It's just like yeah. I, what I can say about the book is like it's it, ta- it it details like what happens before you heal. And I think a lot of people don't even realize they need healing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the spilling is. I didn't realize that I needed help. I didn't realize that I needed to be out of that situation. It was just spilling. The, mm-hmm. sh- the shit was just happening. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, that's what that details. And then the crying is like, oh shit, that shit is happening. Mm-hmm. Like how yeah, you said, she- you try to convince yourself that you- you've normalized it to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe because that's all you'd known up until that point. You know, maybe because you just weren't mature then, or maybe because you know you were in denial. But the crying is like. The sobering moment of like, yeah, this is messed up.
1: Yeah, this ain't working.
2: Yeah, now what mm-hmm. you gonna do about it though? You yeah, gonna stay? Sure. You know what I'm yeah. saying? You have to make a decision. And so, yeah. yeah.
1: And I feel like this applies to a lot of different things. When I was reading this, it actually coincides because we have like a little book club, and our book club is like it's uh, it's reading um, more books that are like about just better decision making and just like little places in your life. And so, one thing that it kind of mirrored your book in a way was like uh talking about like making better eating choices it was something like this that simple is like you gotta first become kind of conscious of like the decisions you the bad decisions you keep making on a daily basis mm-hmm. like you going and grabbing that uh extra piece of bread you don't even be thinking about it you just be like it's gonna be, <laughs> it's gonna taste good right, right now right and so i just i just love how like once you you can kind of become conscious of those decisions it's like all right we getting into the crying is like, all right, what are you going to do about it? And this is where it's still hard. Like, it's yeah. still hard to, like, consciously make a change in your life.
2: And the crying is, like, very reminiscent of just the grieving process in general. You know, you have to grieve. That's important. Like, whatever you've been through, like, it doesn't matter the scale of it. You can you can give yourself grace to, like, mourn over what changes you're about to make or what you've been through. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So I think that that's healthy. Now, what's not healthy is staying there. Yeah. You know, but that stage is important
1: so. yeah. and one thing you talked about as well I I can't remember the name of the specific poem it's just forgiving yourself for going back and making mistakes again like you're I think the the biggest thing I loved about the book is like you just made it super apparent like I'm human like I made mistakes I acknowledged that the mistakes I was making and then I still went back and made those mistakes again sometimes <laughs> in the process of trying to like stop yeah. Yeah. And that's real, like yeah. that's real because it's like when we try to make a change in our life, you still like just sometimes you even consciously make the mistake because it's just that, you know, familiar to you. Like yeah. it's, it's hard. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Turn you um, so, my move I know I just be thinking like analytically sometimes and like I'm going through and, you know, you got feelings, the crying, the cleanup and the feeling was like like Jordan was kinda of saying, it's unconscious, it can happen so quick. Like um something someone can do something to you or you can do something to someone um in an instant. Um and then the other process is like it makes step, like decline. crying. Um it can take a long time to recover and then like cleaning up like it's forever. Like did some like the spill the spilling was like you know fifteen pages. Um, then you got to crying was this amount and then the cleanup was even more um reading more pages. Um was that like something that you thought about at all? Like these processes from take longer than others and um I guess like in the book, each process kind of lengthened like within the pages. I don't I don't know if it falls. I,
2: <laughs> I know what you're asking. I get you, okay. I get what you're asking. Yeah, like yes, there was no intentionality in the um sections of the book, like as far as length goes. Um mm-hmm. I will like I said in my event, there are poems that were left out for sure because I just felt like um one creatively I'm hard on myself so if I didn't feel like they were up to par I just was like nah and then the other side it was like I don't want to be that vulnerable I don't want to some of that was for me to just get out and release and some of it I just didn't want to revisit and um I don't want to trigger anybody too hard you know what I'm saying and so I just left a lot out there's a and I would say a lot of what got left out was the spilling um that section in Mm -hmm. particular for sure um just I didn't want to go into too much detail about what what exactly hit the fan. You feel me? Okay. Like I said, just not. I'm, I'm I try to be very conscious about triggering people, you know, because abuse is is a spectrum. A lot of people, you know, have gone through a lot of different things, um, and I I did want the focus of the book to be more on the healing, because I would, that's what I felt like would be more beneficial to people reading it. Um, not that black women's trauma should ever be silenced. You know, we should speak up but I know what my intentions were for the book. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And so overall I did want, um, the the focus to be on the crying and, and especially on the cleanup. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: okay. Yeah. My, my question was, wow. But you answered it. <laughs> your, your question was <laughs> a
2: paragraph,
1: but, um, uh, okay. So it looks like the mall is coming to life a little bit. Um, what so we want people to go out and get this book we want to give them a little sample like what do you want to tell them what do you what message do you want to give them from the book and if you want to give them maybe like a snippet or something that'd be cool too
2: sure um so the book and i i could all i could read the dedication page the oh book is for black women and i mean that and i mean that in all ways i don't there's no exceptions to that now can other people benefit from reading it absolutely because we're all human at the end of the day but I wrote this specifically for Black women because I feel like we carry a lot of trauma, on top of carrying everybody else's stuff. You know what I'm saying? And so, I wanted it to be something that Black women can read and relate to, and f- and at the end of it, feel like I can I I'm okay. I can carry my stuff and be okay with that. Like I don't have to reach out for everybody's hand until I'm okay first. Like I deserve to put myself first. Because I feel like, um, specifically with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, Black women have been the forefront. I'm not saying that no one else has been, but we have driven a lot of organizations and policy and things to like move the movement forward. But we also get forget forgotten about in the movement. And um, so, like for example, um, part of when I was writing this book, Sandra Bland died, and that like really fucked with me as a Black woman. Like, just to see Somebody that looked like me get killed, which is what you know our black men see, of course. But I feel like that was the first public case of a black woman being being shown in that light. Um, so it hit different for me, and I felt so helpless. And I just felt like, before, prior to that, I was really at the forefront of the movement when I was at UAB. I was holding candlelight visuals for, you know, people that had died. I was at protests. I was going hard. And then that happened, and I just was like, "I'm done. Like, I am tired of this. I don't want to be a part of it anymore." Like, as far as like being the face of a movement, like because I felt like at that point it was affecting my mental health. Like yeah. to see it's it's traumatizing for us as a people to see us in that light, and it was like every week there was a new person or yeah. every other day, and so um it did start to feel like
1: like our whole world was consumed with just like yes. that, just negativity that yes. and yeah and yeah, it, i I felt that and it's not
2: that it didn't need to be um, any awareness to it, but I felt like there was nothing I could do, and that was the part that was messing me up because it was continuing to happen, and you know, we could protest, but I just felt like not that that is not effective, but it for me in that moment it wasn't it wasn't doing anything, mm-hmm. and I felt helpless once again, so I removed myself from being so active within the movement, and I had to recenter and figure out what can I do within my space? Like, what do I have some control over? Well, I am a black woman, number one, so that's Mm -hmm. something, and then I have my art, so that's what I'm going to focus on. Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about it in a way that does not jeopardize my mental health, Mm -hmm. and so all that to say, um, that plus being a mom um, of two boys, a single mom at that, I just feel like I had to take on so much by myself and still do. And, you know, black women get a, a bad rep sometimes, bitter baby mama this, or like angry, you're angry, you're all these different things. And it's like sometimes we have a right to be. Sometimes we can be because of what we what we are legitimately dealing with on a daily. And so I just wanted to express in this book that a black woman's perspective of being mad of feeling like i have to show up for everybody else and not myself and and then telling myself that it's okay to love me first and put me first even before my kids because honestly if i'm and i mean that in, in an emotional sense if i'm not good i can't be my best for my sons so i had to like there were so many things i felt like i was taken on and i had to just drop them and i think that a lot of black women feel that we've watched our mothers our grandmothers carry whole families, you know, on our on their backs, and I just feel like I want this generation to know that that's been done. We don't have to do that. We can do something different, you know. So
1: I love that. Take because I think one thing is like taking this burden off, especially like the creator, the black creatives of the next generation. Like y'all can create things that are like far more beautiful and less painful. Cause it's like now it's almost like one thing i noticed like going around was like why is like all of our movies about trauma like why is like now it's like even in our creativity we're creating even more like worlds of trauma you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. because i'm i'm big on like the things we create even like writing music it's like it shapes the world like we see you know what i'm saying so i definitely i definitely agree with you there yeah But, uh, yeah, we definitely can read some of the book. Just a little, you know, just give them a little sample. (laughs) A little sample. Just a little sample. Okay,
2: let's see. Let's see. Let's see. All right, let me read Life Lessons. This is from The Crying, or The Spilling.
1: Actually, I want to focus the camera on you.
2: Okay. And So I think that after The Spilling happened, this Life Lessons, a uh, poem was, like, a realization that, like, um, just, I think I just realized how the world was starting to work. You know, when we're younger and we're growing up, we see the world as this beautiful place, but honestly, it's pretty ugly. Like, in the people, people can make it ugly, and I just feel like, I think I relied on the world to be like me. Not that I'm perfect, absolutely not, but I think... I thought that I was going to get this loving embrace from the world around me. And that's just not what I got. You know what I'm saying? Like, even from family members, and it's no shade to them, but I think I just realized everybody has their shit. And so, but yeah, Life Lesson says, the world Mm -hmm. don't stop for your pain. Don't stop for your smile or your laugh. Just keeps turning around corners of your hurt. All stubborn, selfish, and broken. So... Yeah, like no matter the things that I was going through, especially as a mom, like the world's not gonna stop because I had a bad night, you know, or what, or you know what I'm saying, like it's gonna keep turning and it's about that dollar, you know what I'm saying, at the end of the day. But
1: did you ever have those moments mm-hmm. where it's like you were still kind of naive, but you had people around you looking at you like, oh, she don't know yet, like, uh, yes, <laughs> they're looking at you like <laughs> she's still green, like you don't.
2: Yes. And, and it's sad because like people take advantage, like keeps turning around all the corners of your hurt. Meaning like people will see that you're naive and they're not going to hit you. They're going to let you be naive and they're going to take advantage because they're benefiting from you being naive. And it's like you really if you're not around some people who are genuine and authentic, like you just going to get played for a bit until you. Wake up within self, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, too many stories. Um, let's see, this is from The Crying. Um, the weight on one woman takes 10 men to carry. Another one, a question for white feminists, etc. How many times does a black woman have to be a black woman? Okay, how many times does a black woman have to be black and a woman for everybody but herself? Um, and that just goes back to what I said, you know, like, just feeling like we can't even take care of ourselves first. We're looked at as selfish or, you know, bitter or whatever to have you. Um, and then the cleanup. One of my favorite poems is joy came this morning after midnight stirred its darkness. And, you know, no matter what you're going through in life, no matter what moments have happened that just sends you in a spiral or whatever, there's always an opportunity for joy. Always. Like literally your next day can change your life. Tomorrow, your world can look completely different. And I think that that realization has really kept me going because Emotions are fleeting, you know. They're they're up and down, you know. We can feel like doom one day and then the next day have a great day, you know what I'm saying? So it's like no matter what happens within the day, it can always get better. Mm-hmm. Literally, <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally. Um, another important poem from the cleanup I have is Speak Up. It's on page 65 and it says... Some people will ignore your voice and fear that it will overpower theirs and fear that it will expose their lack of logic or love. Some people will ignore your voice because it bleeds conviction, reveals their selfish motives they tuck behind their truths. Your voice is your heartbeat. Do not let it be muffled under the echoes of fear or the chatter of men too proud to submit. Scream your love. Scream your truth. You need it for healing. And... um. That's part of why this book is even out now, that poem in in particular, because I've spent years holding back art and I had to dig and figure out why. Like, why am I not putting my stuff out there? And I realized um, I don't want to make the people I love look like monsters. I don't want the world to look at them and be like, man can't believe they did that. You know what I'm saying? Because I love these people. But what was happening was I was killing myself. I was staying silent about my abuse. I was staying silent about my struggles as a black woman, not wanting to be viewed as like the bitter baby mama or whatever, you know. And that's not, at the end of the day, people going to talk. That's what I've learned about life. So you might as well be yourself. You might as well um, give in to the convictions that you feel within yourself. You know what I'm saying? And so especially as black people, like our voice is our heartbeat you know, um, especially because history has been re- re- rewritten you know, to be in favor of our oppressors. Like we don't, you know what I'm saying? Like our ancestors did not have as much privilege to write down their experiences. And like, you know, for it to be on, on the forefront, for example, like in school, we didn't we didn't hear directly from anybody. We were told things about our ancestors and so it's important for this generation to speak up for ourselves we have technology now you know we can tell our story we don't have to let nobody tell it for us
1: one thing i feel like i learned was like and it goes back to like them things like you've always heard it but you never really looked that deep into it's like uh like i like to say the devil is a lie like when i have something i'm like i want to say this but i don't want to step on toes Mm -hmm. like i i i feel like some enemies tell me to say this is like, is it the truth? Like, is it the truth? If it's the truth, then there ain't no wrong in saying it, you know what I'm saying? Like, exactly. So that's one thing for me is like if you feel repressed or whatever, you feel like you can't say something, like ask yourself, is this true? Like, you know. Exactly.
2: It, and that's 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 what I had to do with self, like with the book. I'm like, I'm not lying on nobody. You know what I'm saying? This is this is my truth and it's and it's the truth. And so whoever feels the way gonna have to just feel away. But um, you know Victims of abuse and, and and the like, like they need to be able to feel supported once they speak out, you know. But but the reality is, not everybody's going to receive what you're saying. People are always going to have something to say, so the real freedom is not caring. You know what I'm saying? So
0: mm-hmm. have you gotten any like pushback from anybody that like relates or like feel like you're speaking on them? Like, you gotten people just like you no, know, why you why you say that you know, just not
2: being supportive and like you letting this out. Um, for sure. Mm-hmm. And I'ma say this. Um, and I didn't even I don't even want to focus on this too much because
1: I thought she was about to go full heart. Shout out to my haters. I see no, all No 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 <laughs> no
2: never. I will never, I would never. But I will say <laughs> There are certain people that I thought would support that didn't. And now I understand why, like, because you were benefiting from my silence directly or indirectly. And so when I speak up, I think that there's a fear there, like a, whew, what could she have said about me, about us, about, you know, and, um, from my abuser in particular, big mad, big mad, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, You know, I got to say my truth and, um, you know, not I'm not a celebrity by any means, but, you know, celebrities talk about all the time how like, you know, their closest people closest to them have snaked them or like felt away or been jealous acting and like I, I could see I see how that forms like and it's crazy. Because, you know, p- sometimes people, they benefit from you being small or from you being naive, like we said. Like, And unfortunately, some of the people closest to me were benefiting from from that. And I think to see me grow and be stronger through what I went through, I think a lot of people counted me out. I think they thought, um, you know, she out of there. And I was, but I'm not there anymore. You know what I'm saying? And so... Um, I
1: think that's inspirational to folks that's, like, still afraid to step on that other side of fear. Because there's Mm -hmm. some things you will never see that's happening in your life until you take a change or a leap. or You know what I'm saying? Like, you won't see, like, can you imagine, like, not knowing, like, those same people was like that Mm -hmm. to this day, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Like.
2: Literally. And it takes getting hurt to the core sometimes to step out of it, you know? Because had I not went through what I've gone through, I would have still been out here just... Naive, not not knowing how to read when somebody's intentions are not pure, all that. You know what I'm saying? All the things you you need to be taught to protect yourself because the world just ain't it ain't cute out here. For it's sure. savage. Sure. So
1: Oh <laughs> so dad. All right. Yeah. So I guess now uh we, we don't wanna give y'all too much. We don't wanna give y'all too much. So just plug like plug yourself, plug your book. We wanna we wanna see this fly off the, the shelves. New York Times bestseller, Huntsville's bestseller, all that. Okay, something.
2: But, yeah, queenkeani.com is where you can find the book. Um, In March, I'll be doing an Instagram Live series every Monday in March to help just talk about the book. It's going to be poetry and conversations, basically. So um, hopefully people got their copy by then so we can read together on live. Um, But, um, yeah, you can go to my website to get it. I really don't do good at the promo part, y'all.
1: <laughs> so you really don't what? I don't do well with,
2: with the promo, but that's all I, that's
1: all I got. Oh, uh, we got to tap in with you. So, yeah, <laughs> we going to push this book as much as we can. We going to get you out there. But um, we just want to thank you for coming through for us, you know.
2: yeah, Thank y'all. Thank y'all for having I got me. one more
0: thing. I oh, hope you have a quick but, like, could you give some of those self-care tips um, to those, you know, just trying to, do more for
2: themselves. Yeah. Um, figure out what you what makes you feel most relaxed. Like what, what would you do on your day off? And then find some time and space to do a little bit of that every day. Um, for me, I love meditation. Like put on a song, sit in silence, whatever. But I try to sit with myself every single day. Even if it's just for five, ten minutes. Um, you owe yourself that. Like, for me, also, self-care is just taking my vitamins. Like, there's just the basics. Like, make make a list of things that are just for you and do at least one thing every day. And if you have time, do more. Um, get out in nature. Spend some time outside. I know it's cold right now, but go outside. Cold, touch the grass. <laughs> you know, like, unplug from our phones. Like, man, I feel like we're going to, years from now, they're going to come out with all these studies about how, social media has created a whole avenue of mental health like yeah. it's created a whole genre that we're that we're all dealing with and don't even realize you know something's
1: crazy you'll be having a bad day but then you remember like let me just go outside and touch some sun like, oh, the world ain't so bad
2: exactly. <laughs> and then you're yeah. like dang am i that far into this like <laughs> am I that distracted but like no seriously like um, unplugging from social media is so important. Mm-hmm. And as artists, it's hard because that's also where we promote ourselves and get inspiration. But um, a cleanse is, is good for the soul, yeah. just to reset. Use social
1: media as a tool is my thing. Like, don't mm-hmm. get up there scrolling all day. Just get up there, drop your stuff, say hey to a few folks. You know, keep it pushing.
2: Right, set boundaries. Yeah. Boundaries. Oh, boundaries are everything for self-care. Um, but that comes with knowing yourself. Like, your your boundaries are not going to look like somebody else's. Like, people's access to you, you really need to decipher, like, who deserves that. Okay. Because that, that's going to really affect, you know, who you are as a person. And if somebody is not totally in your corner or inspiring you to move forward, they're holding you back. So they got to go, no matter Absolutely. who they are. Like
1: That's a hard one.
2: And that is. It's very, very hard. But, honestly, it's worth it. It is so worth it because... You know, your purpose is everything in this life. That's that's what God has for you. And you, not only that, you're supposed to be inspiring other people and their purpose. So if you're distracted, you know what about the people that you're supposed to be inspiring. So it's just important to guard your energy, guard your space.
1: For sure. Before we get out of here, we always do this. I'm mad we waited to the end. But we got to get a top five out of you. Okay. So I don't want to get you. Oh, my God. Yeah. You
0: <laughs> about Yeah.
1: So mm-hmm. I know you're, you're a poetess. Mm-hmm. But I really love rap. So I need your top five oh, MCs. I can, do, I
2: can do that. Top. Now, top here's five, the top hard. Five, top five. This is hard because I... Okay, I'm just going to have to name my, my top. Okay. In no particular order. Y'all can't make me do that. I'm not doing that. But oh, some of my favorite artists to listen to right now. Okay. Kanye is always going to be a fave. But honestly, we're not going to get in too deep into this. Okay. But pre Yeezus, Kanye specifically. Um, We're gonna let her ride. Yeah, we we got to because that's a that's that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> Kendrick, K- um,
1: yes, ma'am You you good people. Smo
2: is one of my favorite. Okay. No name is another no name. favorite of mine, and that last slide is so hard. Mm. Immediately, Tyler comes to mind because of like rap and overall creative mind. Tyler the creator. Yes, okay. Tyler the creator for sure. Um yeah i'm gonna keep it there
1: Oh, no name i love no name like i need her to get back i need her to come back to us
2: yeah. i know i um, don't she got one more she says she's doing one more album and she out of there so
1: she she be on her lower hill stuff yeah love it up love it up yeah which is your Lord favorite uh no name project
2: um telephone for telephone. sure telephone
1: telephone yeah. she was in her bag yes she was in her bag yes all right all right that was that was good all right Trent, you got anything else
0: ah oh, man i think i think that's it um uh, yeah we just appreciate you once again for coming through um keeping on your journey and keeping on this wonderful collection that you've made um so yeah we, we appreciate
2: you i appreciate y'all and i'm Thanks, proud of man. y'all very proud of y'all y'all keep doing it
1: Trying to be like you one day. Trying to be like you. Nah, <laughs> we all on the
2: same
1: wavelength. Man. Oh, all right. But yeah, this is all in audio experience. We got Queen Keanu in the building. And we out of here. All in
0: audio mm.